Welcome back. We are back. We are here. Episode two of four for the day. Uh, I am Jackson. Across from me is Douglas finishing up some hashtags. Hello. Thank you. And we are back with episode two of the year 2021 or episode 87, depending on how you want to count. Or realistically, episode 100 and something if you uh, got probably like 130 or 40 if I had to guess. Anyways, we are back. It is my topic today. Um, for a little while before it is Douglas's again Woo! in a little bit as well. Uh, the only thing I really have to thank you. The only thing I really have to say is uh, some more word association, but I'm actually going to save that uh, until it's your topic. All right. I don't want to do well, that. Do you want me to do some word association? Sure, if you want. That's something that uh, we could do. Let all me right, real quick. Right. Hold on. Let me update the episode count because uh, we're currently here. If I can just fucking hold on. Two. Oh, let me just do this. Actually, yeah, yeah, ah, yeah. there we go. Okay. All right. Uh, word you, association. You got, Let's hold do on. It. Hold on. Let's do it. Hold on. Double checking everything, making sure I have the right stuff pulled up and everything, making sure nothing's slacking. Okay, I'm ready and I'm focused. All right. Let me close my eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Converse. Peanut butter. Ice chest. Chat. Chat. <laughs> Cold. Cold. There you go. Stocking. Hard. Central perk. Coffee. Uh, whiskey. Neat. Uh, Alabama. Roll tie. Flag. Oh! I don't know. <laughs> what? Roll tie? I, I, I was going to say state flag. flag. I don't know. Flag. State. Glass. Where? <laughs> nice. Wi-Fi. Password. Um, picture frame. Frame. <laughs> Door. Head. <laughs> uh, crystals. Fall. Vinyl. Apple. <laughs> um, geez. Speaker. Head. What? <laughs> what is, are you okay? I'm anticipating this too much, I think, and it's causing me to... Couch. Fo- focus. <laughs> All right. Where's the flub count? I don't know what. I don't like doing that. (laughs) Now I just feel more like confused about it than like I feel more confused about the episode. Quick beer. Ass. (laughs) All right. Jackson won't be doing that again. I don't want to. (laughs) That was hard. Well. And confusing. (laughs) Anyways. Yeah, we'll move on from that. I have my topic. It's a person. Famous for something. Have you heard of Stanton T. Friedman? No. No? How about Stanton Terry Friedman? No. Okay. How about just Stanton Friedman? No. Okay. Um, oh. Maybe, no, Terry sounds familiar, but... It's his middle name. He I goes just, by Stanton T. Friedman. I thought Friedman. of um, the video where it's like, back up, Terry! No. Oh. Uh, he was a... Uh, nuclear... Oh, God. Now I got to pull this up because it's... I'm so sorry. A nuclear physicist? Yes, he was. Wow. A, I'm making sure like I have everything. Okay. He was a nuclear physicist and professional UFOologist who resided in Fred- Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada. And he was the original civilian investigator of... UFOs. The Roswell UFO incident. Ooh. Which will I'm be intrigued. covered in the future. And he oh, worked, not, not now? No. Oh. No, it's him specifically. Uh, he worked on research oh. and development projects for several large companies. Uh, and so I'm not going to go over early life. Early life. I'm mainly here to talk about UFOs. And so here are his positions. 
thank you. Here's here are his positions regarding UFO phenomenon. Uh, so, like I said, he was the first civilian to document the site uh, of the Roswell incident mm-hmm. and supported the hypothesis that it was a genuine crash of an extraterrestrial spacecraft. In 1968, he told a committee of the United well, States. Is it safe to say that did he work at Area 51? No, no. Where he? Where was he? Okay, sorry, I should do early life. Uh, well, so no, not don't do his whole life. Just okay. And let's find where well, he was employed for 14 years as a nuclear physicist, and around the time of the Roswell incident, which was uh, in the which was in 1947, yeah. he was working at... Somewhere. Wait. Yeah, sorry. Okay, so the Roswell incident was in 1947. The dating's a little weird here. I think that I think he just like decided to just start investigating it one day. So, uh, but well, from, I mean, when you're a nuclear from physicist, 1956 to well. 1970, he worked at a, a couple of like like General Electric, General Motors, nice, uh, a bunch nice. of other stuff. And then since the 80s, uh, he consulted for the radon detection industry. And his professional affiliations included the American Nuclear Society, American Physical Society, and American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics and AFTRA. So it's safe to say he's a smart guy. Yes. Okay. Uh, in 1970, he left full-time employment as a physicist to pursue the scientific investigation of UFOs. Since then, he, he, since then, he gave lectures at more than 600 colleges, more than 50 100 professional groups in 50 states, 10 provinces, and 19 countries outside the U.S. <laughs> Additionally, he worked as a consultant on the topic. He published more than 80 UFO papers, related papers, and appeared on many radio and television programs. He also provided written testimony to congressional hearings and appeared twice at the U.N. Uh, he consistently favored use of the term flying saucer in his work, saying flying saucers are, by definition, uh, UFOs, but are very un- but, are, but very few identified ob- flying objects are flying saucers. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in the latter, not the former. Uh, he used Friedman used to refer to himself as the flying saucer physicist because of his degree in nuclear physics and work on nuclear projects. And so, uh, like I said, he went to the House of Representatives, everything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also stated he believed that UFO sightings were consistent with magnetohydrodynamic propulsion. In Can you explain that? Uh, magnetohydrodynamics is a study of magnetic properties and behavior of electrically conducted fluids. Wow. Uh, so in 1996, after researching and fact-checking the Majestic 12 documents, uh, Friedman said that there was no substanti- substantive grounds for dismissing their authenticity. What are the Majestic 12s? Yeah, I was about to ask that. It is a purported organization that appears in UFO conspiracy theories. The organization is claimed to be the code name of an alleged secret committee of scientists, military leaders, and government officials formed in 1947 by an executive order by Harry Truman to facilitate recovery and investigation of spacecraft. Another future topic. Ooh. Ooh, we're just getting all the topics. I mean, you know, I, I try to uh I try to um stack it, make it uh big and stack alien like filled. a stack of UFO pancakes. Anyways. <laughs> what? Huh? A st- yeah? A st- uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> We're going to keep going. Sorry, I was thinking about pancakes. In 2004, on George Nouri's Coast to Coast radio show, he debated Seth Shostak, the SETI Institute's senior astronomer. And like Friedman, Shostak also believes in the existence of intelligent life other than humans. However, unlike Friedman, he does not believe that such life is now on Earth or is related to UFO sightings. 
Friedman hypothesized that UFOs may originate from relatively nearby sun-like stars. Piece of evidence that he often cited with respect to this hypothesis is the 1964 star map drawn by our girl Betty Hill during a hypnosis session, which she said was shown to her during abduction. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, astronomer Marjorie Fish constructed a three-dimensional map of nearby sun-like stars and claimed a good match about the per- from the perspective of Zeta Reticuli, about 39 light years distant. <laughs> the fit of the Hill-Fish star maps was hotly debated in the 1974 edition of Astronomy Magazine, with Friedman and others defending the statistical validity of the match. Uh he stated, Friedman has st- stated strong views against search for extraterrestrial intelligence research. Uh, he contested that the implicit premise of SETI, I'm going to call it SETI, uh, that, there had, that there has been no extraterrestrial visitation of the planet because it was his claim that SETI was seeking only signals, not extraterrestrial intelligence or beings. He maintained that the prominence and widespread public claims of those involved with SETI have tended to prevent germ serious research, including research by journalists of UFOs. And Friedman was a classmate of Carl Sagan at the University of Chicago. Stanton criticized Sagan, a proponent of SETI, for ignoring empirical evidence such as 600-plus unknowns of Project Blue Book Special Report Number 14, which is uh, Project Blue Book, another Mm -hmm. future topic. Mm -hmm. As far as we haven't covered that one yet. Not yet. It's a big one. It's in my notebook, I think. It's a big one. Uh, Friedman argued that there that these empirical data directly contradict Sagan's claim in other worlds that the reliable cases are uninteresting and the interesting cases are unreliable. Specifically, Friedman referred to a table in Project Blue Book Special Report Number 14 that he said shows that the better the quality of the sighting, the more likely it was to be an unknown. Am I boring you? Yeah. <laughs> and the less likely it was to be listed as containing insufficient information. Hmm. Am I boring? Am so, I boring you? You can be honest. So we're talking aliens here, right? Mm-hmm. And the whole thing about the signal, this dude said they're not seeking extraterrestrials to have visited Earth. No, they so they believe that they, they're they're seeking SETI, the signals. Well SETI SETI's main thing is they believe that it is out there, so that's yeah. why they're searching for signals. They don't believe that but they, what you they, said they don't believe like, that they've visited, so yeah, they're not looking for that stuff. Okay. So, but they're they they do not believe that just because they're not looking for it. No, they don't they don't believe that anything has visited Earth. Yeah. So they're therefore so that's not why looking they're just for looking it. for the signals. Yeah. Because they believe that that's the more that part, that plausible. Part confused me. I uh, thought they just I thought they'd just like yeah, we haven't found any evidence of no. Aliens they believe here. that it's not possible. I see. No, it's definitely possible. I know. So Friedman said of the responses, <laughs> we're smarter than them. <laughs> Friedman said of the response to his talks, I know. And so this is like uh, about his like uh, people's opinion about him, both in the public and scientific community. I know that most people are unfamiliar with the several large-scale scientific studies because I ask after I show a slide and ask about each one, how many here have read this? Typically, is only one or two percent. Uh, he said that a talk he gave to Canadian journalists in St. John, New Brunswick, caused the attitudes of the journalists to change because, quote, attendees had no idea there was so much solid information as opposed to the tabloid nonsense they thought was the primary source of UFO data. Uh, Friedman argued that the majority of people believe UFOs exist, and at least some groups of scientists do as well. Uh, he referred to the following data in support of his position. Gallup polls between 66 and 87 asked respondents the question, are UFOs something real or just people's imagination? 
Of those who took a position one way or the other, 61, 64, 68, and 60 percent took the position they are real in 66, 77, 78, and 87, respectively. (laughs) With respect to scientists, a poll was taken by Industrial Research and Development in 1971 and 1979. Of the respondents who took a position, 64 percent and 69 percent stated they believe UFOs either probably or definitely exist. Of this subgroup, 32 and 44 percent considered their origin to be outer space in 71 and 79, respectively. Of the rest of this subgroup, approximately half believed them to be natural phenomena and half were undecided. Peter Sturrock also polled the membership of the American Astronomical Society and found that the greater the amount of time one spent on reading UFO-related material, the more likely one is to accept their reality. But, of course, with every great uh, mind come the critics and controversies. That's, That's what we have to deal with every day. Yeah. Uh, So, Friedman was outspoken in his articulation of positions and in his criticism of UFO debunkers, often stating he was not an apologist ufologist. Uh Oof, that was a mouthful. Say that again. Apologist ufologist. Uh, His positions are regarded as controversial in mainstream science and media, Mm -hmm. but but Friedman claimed to have received little opposition at his many lectures, most of which were... Where colleges and universities, many to engineering societies and other groups, group of physicists. Uh, he had a number of debates in the mainstream media, including one with UFO skeptic Michael Shermer on CNN. He was criticized both by skeptics and other Roswell researchers for taking the position that there are no substantive grounds for dismissing the authenticity of some Majestic 12 documents. Friedman himself was the first to provide evidence that some of the documents are clearly hoaxes. For example, he showed that a supposed memo from Admiral Roscoe Hillencoter to President Truman dated 19, February 17, 1948, was actually the emulation of a letter from Marshall to Roosevelt that was featured in the book The American Magic. Friedman researched the MJ-12 documents since first becoming aware of them from William Moore and Jamie Shandera in 1984. He addressed criticisms of the original document in both sources. As an example, Philip J. Class claimed lexicographic inconsistencies based on the use of Pika typeface and the Cutler twinning memo and offered $100 in a challenge to Friedman for each legitimate example of the use of the same style and size Pika type as used in the memo. Friedman provided 14 examples and was paid $1,000 by class. Wow. And uh, unfortunately, on May 13, 2009, he died of a heart attack at the Toronto Pearson Airport. Uh, And he wrote several books, uh, including Flying Saucers and Science, Captured the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience, Top Secret slash M-A-J-I-C. Wait, how does he tie into Betty and Barney Hill? He, he wrote a book he, about it? And he also ex- observed the star map. Right, right, right. Crash at Corona, the definitive story of the Roswell incident. Science was wrong, starting truths about cures, theories, and inventions they declared impossible. Fact, fiction, and flying saucers. And he's also done visual media and a CD from 1996. A whole CD? Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yep. But, um... And that was uh, Stanley Friedman. Now, I know you're thinking, Douglas. I'm thinking. You're thinking, that was really short, you know. It's only, you know, we're not even that deep in the podcast. I, Jackson finished his topic. That was the plan, to give you a boner. <laughs> and you got one. Thank you. But that's not true. Because I'm also going to talk about something else. Aliens? The Roswell's incident itself. Oh, that's why you said we were discussing that later. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! So, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
So, you know, there's a little bit of warmth. It's teasing you in. Oh, I got teased. People are probably like, Thanks you know, for edging me. What is, what is the Roswell incident? Um, and I'm going to tell you right after I put on a football game. So, See, Douglas, share me. The thing about football is it stimulates the mind. I got to it. Where <laughs> tell me some thoughts that you have about... Uh, Roswell? No, um, Stanley. Or Stan- um, Stanton, sorry. Yeah, geez. Um, you know, he's definitely an advocate for our cause, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he was. He RIP. was, yeah. 2009, he died. We were in... 2019. Oh, I thought you said 2009. No, 19. Oh, well, that was last... Not, shoot, that wasn't last year. Well... It was, you know, rest it in was peace. close to uh, he's, last year. He's up there with the aliens. Um, but I don't know. I think he's just one of those dudes who's just headstrong against the critics, against the grain, you know, pushing for the for the the underdogs out there who believe in aliens like us. And we thank him. Yes. Now onto Roswell. Mm. If my phone will Ooh, Spider-Man. If it'll load. This is um this is getting really annoying when my phone does this. That's okay. I do apologize. <laughs> Jackson needs a new phone. Yeah, I know. So the Roswell incident. Now uh, the Roswell UFO incident in popular lore refers to the rumors and speculation regarding in July nineteen forty seven United States Army Air Force's balloon crash at a ranch near Roswell, Mexico. Following local press interest and debris gathered from the crash site and rumors that the debris came from a flying disc, the U.S. military stated that the crash object was merely a conventional weather balloon. Interest subsequently waned until the late 70s when ufologists began promoting a variety of increasingly elaborate conspiracy theories claiming that one or more alien spacecraft had crash-landed, and that the extraterrestrial occupants had been recovered by the military, which then engaged in a cover-up. I know. It's crazy. I know. And in the 1990s, the U.S. military published two reports disclosing the true nature of the crashed object, a nuclear test surveillance balloon from Project Mogul. Uh, Nevertheless... The Roswell incident continues to be of interest in popular media, and conspiracy theories surrounding the event persist. Roswell has been described as the world's most famous, most exhaustively investigated, and most thoroughly debunked UFO claim. Well, um, did it happen? Let's get into it. So, the events of 1947. I forgot how long this is. All right. What is this uh, a website? Uh, it's Wikipedia. <laughs> Thank you. But also, like... Thank you, Wikipedia. People don't lie. Like, for this type of stuff, people wouldn't lie on Wikipedia. For, like... like s- I don't know. If, like, if you're going to do... Like, the only reason, like, I feel like people would lie on Wikipedia would be to... Uh, do um like for like stuff that like people would like write about in school, you know what I mean? Like I don't think someone anybody gonna, can edit w- Wikipedia, right? I know, but like they also like so they we include, they go include on Wikipedia. Bunch of, well, like look, they also like references. They have all yeah. This this page alone has sorry, hold on, seventy nine references and then more sources than I can count. Jeez. 
So well, of course it's Roswell. Yeah. So I'm gonna. That's why I like that. I I always check the references. Um, not in school. I don't use it for school stuff because you know. But if there's reference, I use it for school. If there's stuff. a reference thing, I'll click the references. But I'm not gonna use the stuff from the Wikipedia page yeah. itself. So uh, the sequence of events was triggered in July 1947 by the crash of a military balloon near Roswell. Uh, the balloon had been launched from the Alamogordo Army Airfield a month earlier. It carried a radar reflector and classified Project Mogul sensors for experimental monitoring of Soviet nuclear testing. Would you not scratch in the mic? William Brazell, a foreman working on the J.B. Foster Ranch, noticed clusters of debris approximately 30 miles north of Roswell, New Mexico. China. Uh, this date, or about three weeks before July 8th, appeared in later stories featuring Brazil, but the initial press release from the Roswell Army Airfield said that the find was sometime last week, suggesting that Brazil found the debris in early July. Uh, he told the Roswell Daily Record that he and his son saw a large area of bright wreckage made up of rubber strips, tin foil, and a rather tough, and rather tough paper and sticks. He paid little attention to it, but returned later with his son, wife, and daughter to gather up the material. Some accounts, I lost my, some accounts have described Brazil as having gathered some of the material earlier, rolling it together and stashing it under some brush. The next day, Brazil heard reports about flying discs and wondered if that was what he picked up. On the 7th of July, uh, he saw Sheriff Wilcox and whispered kind of confidential-like that he may have found a flying disc. Another account quotes Wilcox as saying, Brazil reported the object on July 6th. So, is that, that's not the day of the crash, is it? No. It, it's no, There's no specific day of the crash, But he didn't find any, he didn't recover any alien bodies. No, not, the, not any bodies. It's more so about the craft itself. Yeah. Because maybe the government already grabbed the bodies. Why wouldn't they grab the craft? I don't know. Because it was destroyed. There maybe was no they use did. for it. Yeah. Or they did, and those were, that was like broken, the broken pieces. They were like, leave it. Or... They left something because maybe some, or they were planning to come back, but Brazil got there first. Or they picked all all of it up and left behind what somebody would possibly think had fallen out of the sky. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe it was planted. It was planted. Probably. So on July eighth, nineteen forty-seven. Oh, wrong part. Uh, Wilcox called RAAF Major Jesse Marcel, and Marcel brought. Lieutenant Colonel Sheridan Cabot and Master Sergeant Bill Rackett to the ranch where more pieces were picked up. Uh, we spent a couple of hours Monday afternoon looking for any parts, for any more parts of the weather device. We found a few more patches of tinfoil and rubber. On July 8th, oh, I guess that game's over. <laughs> Sorry. On July 8th, RAAF Public Information Officer Walter House issued a press release stating that the personnel from the field's 509th Operation Group had recovered a flying disc which had crashed on a ranch near Roswell. See, now why would they say that if it was a weather balloon? Uh, which had crashed on a ranch near no, Roswell. It's a lot of holes. Uh, lot the of report holes was the immediately story. picked up by numerous news outlets. So what I can do is is I can read all these quotes that they have, but there's a lot of them and it's really long. Yeah. Or I can kind of just, you know, they kind of it kind of goes over like what's happened and then I can go on to the next part if you want. Yeah, 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 yeah. let's do that. Let's do that. Okay, which one? The second option. All right. So, uh, a telex sent to a... Oh, gosh. <laughs> I deleted the sneeze noise. <laughs> Good. So, uh, a telex sent to the FBI office from the Fort Worth, Texas office 
<laughs> How many offices are there? Two. Quoted a major from the 8th Air Force, uh, also based in Fort Worth, on July 8th, 18, 1947, as saying that the disc is hexagonal in shape and was suspended from a balloon by cable, uh, which balloon, which the... Uh, oh, the balloon is approximately 20 feet in diameter. Major Curtin further advises... Uh, that the object uh, found resembles a high-altitude weather balloon with a radar reflector, but that telephonic conversation between their office and right field had not uh, uh, had not something of this belief. Something. Oh, sorry. This was hit. Sorry, it was a. Um, this was his quote. It's a tell. So the telex. It's like a. It was a like a phone call. And so this is this is a direct quote taken from the phone oh, okay. call. So that's why it sounded. That's why they I was recorded the call. Yes. Yeah. And so the final part of what he was saying was the telephonic conversation between their office and right field has not something unintelligible borne out this belief. Uh, as described in the July 9, 1947 edition of the Roswell Daily Record. This I can read real quick. <clears throat> the balloon which held it up, if that how if that was how it worked, must have been 12 feet long. Uh, Brazel felt measuring the distance by the size of the room in which he sat. The rubber was smoky gray in color and scattered over an area about 200 yards in diameter. When the debris was gathered up, the tinfoil paper, tape, and sticks made a bundle about 3 feet long and 7 or 8 inches thick, while the rubber made a bundle about 18 to 20 inches long and 8 inches thick. In all, he estimated the entire lot would have weighed maybe 5 pounds. There was no sign of any metal in the area which might have been used for an engine, and no sign of any kind of propellers of any kind, although at least one paper fin had been glued onto some of the tinfoil. There were no words to be found anywhere on the instrument, although there were some, or there were letters on some of the parts. Considerable scotch tape and some tape with flowers printed upon it had been in use in construction. No what? strings or wires were to be found, but there were some eyelets in the paper to indicate that some sort of attachment may have been used. So this thing was made of tinfoil sticks and tape with flowers on it yeah i told you it's a weather balloon yeah okay so that's what this dude picked up mm -hmm. colonel william h blanchard commanding officer of the 509th contacted general roger m ramey of the 8th air force in fort worth texas and he ordered the object uh, be flown to fort worth army airfield at the base <clears throat> warrant officer irving newton confirmed ramey's preliminary opinion identifying the object as a being a weather balloon and it's kite, a nickname for a radar reflector used to attract the balloons from the ground. Uh, the military designed, or the military decided to conceal the true purpose of the crash device, nuclear test monitoring, and instead informed the public that the crash was of a weather balloon. Later that day, the press reported that General Ramey had stated that a weather balloon was recovered by the RAF personnel. A press conference was held featuring debris said to be from the crashed object, which matched the weather balloon description. Historian Robert Goldberg wrote that the intended effect was achieved. The story died the next day. Hmm. Subsequently, the incident faded from the attention of UFO enthusiasts for more than 30 years. So I didn't know that. I yeah. thought it was like a big deal ever since the start. Yeah, that's what I thought. So between 78 and the early 90s, UFO researchers such as Stanton, uh, William Moore, Carl T. Flock, and the team of Kevin D. Randall and Donald R. Schmidt interviewed several hundred people with who claimed to have had a connection with the events at Roswell in 1947. Hundreds of documents were attained via the Freedom of Information Act requests. Their conclusions were at least one alien spacecraft crashed near Roswell, alien bodies had been recovered, and a government cover-up of the incident had taken place. Over the years, books, articles, television specials, 
uh, brought the 1947 incident significant notoriety. Nor notoriety. Not- notoriety. By the mid-1990s, public polls such as a 1997 CNN Time poll revealed that the majority of people interviewed believed that aliens had indeed visited Earth and that the aliens had landed at Roswell, but that, they all, but that all the irrelevant information was being kept secret by the government. According to anthropologists Susan Harding and Kathleen Stewart, the Roswell story was the prime example of how a discourse moved from the fringes of the main, to the mainstream according to the prevailing zeitgeist. Public preoccupation in the 1980s with conspiracy, cover-up, and repression aligned well with the Roswell narratives as told in sensational books which were being published. Uh, I'm going to get some water real quick because my throat is scratchy. Do some talking. Oh, shoot. Um, Well, you know, after hearing a bunch of stuff about Roswell, I didn't... I'm sure I'm, I'm on the same page as all of you. I thought it was an actual UF like flying disc. I didn't know it was like a weather balloon with a bunch of popsicle sticks and flower tape. I didn't know a little kid made this thing. I thought it was actual. I, am, am I getting this wrong? Am I getting this wrong? I don't know, Jackson. I don't, like I thought there were little aliens that. Ugh. I'm so confused. I'm. <laughs> Like, am I am I wrong to think that they found like an actual spacecraft? Well, we're not there yet. Oh, okay. We're just getting started. Yeah, but like, I didn't, I never heard anything about a weather balloon. I thought that was like yeah, you didn't know co- that. I thought it was like the whole cover up thing. Well, maybe it is. Shoot. We only I only talked about that was just like the, the events during that year. Man, does and anybody like, know what it is? That was just like that was just all about what was released during that like nineteen forty seven yeah, anything okay. like that. So Nothing that's what more. that's just what they were saying. Yeah, that's just what all that was reported Man, and everything. But we don't know the truth to it. All. You know what it is, bitch. Yeah. Aliens. We're not we're not uh we're not we're not we're not, we barely scratched the surface. So let's get down to the, the mantle. I am. <laughs> that was a uh, geography joke. In 1978, nuclear physicist and Arthur Stanton uh, interviewed Jesse Marcel, uh, the only person no, the only person known to have accompanied the Roswell debris from where it was recovered to Fort Worth, where reporters saw material which was claimed to be part of the recovered object. There's a meteor shower tonight. <coughs> okay. Yeah. We can watch it. All right. <laughs> the accounts given by Friedman and others in the following years elevated Roswell from a forgotten incident to perhaps the most famous case of all time. Uh, so, the first conspiracy book about Roswell was The Roswell Incident in 1980 by Charles Berlitz and William Moore, authors who had previously written popular books on the Philadelphia Experiment and on the Bermuda Triangle. What is the Philadelphia Experiment? Book market. I gotta go write it down. I'll write it down. I got it. Too late. What if I want to do it? <laughs> uh, well, I'm already done. Oh, that's a three. Well, um... Continue. Mm-hmm. Historian Kathy Olmsted writes that the material of this book has come to be known as version one of the Roswell myth. Burlitz and Moore's narrative holds that the holds that an alien craft was flying over the New Mexico desert observing the U.S. nuclear weapon activity, but crashed after being hit by lightning, killing the aliens on board. A government cover-up duly followed. The authors claim to have interviewed over 90 witnesses, Though he was uncredited, Friedman carried out some of the research for the book. Our boy. Mm-hmm. 
The Roswell incident featured accounts of debris described by Marcel as nothing made on this earth. Additional accounts by Bill Brazell, son of Mac Brazell, neighbor Floyd Proctor, and Walt Whitman Jr., son of newsman W.E. Whitman, who had interviewed Mac Brazell, suggested the material Marcel recovered had super strength not associated with a weather balloon. I'm sorry. Super, my throat's really scratchy uh, today super from all strength. this talk, talking. They're talking about the craft <laughs> that it had super strength? The material. Yeah. Uh, the book introduced the contention that debris, which was recovered by Marcel at the Foster Ranch, visible in photographs showing Marcel posing with the debris, was substituted for debris from a weather device as part of the cover-up. The book also claimed that the debris recovered from the ranch was not permitted a close inspection by the press. The efforts by the military were described as being intended to discredit and counteract the growing hysteria towards flying saucers. I see why I was confused. Mm -hmm. I had a sheep brain for a second. I know. Two accounts of witness intimidation were included in the book, including the incarceration of Mac Brazell. The book also introduced the secondhand stories of civil engineer Barney Barrett, Barnett, and a (coughs) group of archaeology students from an unidentified university seeing alien wreckage and bodies on the desert. Uh, Berlitz and Moore's narrative was dominant until the late 80s when other authors attracted by the commercial potential of writing about Roswell started producing rival accounts. So, I don't know, these, these students... Well, that was just, that was just, this is just the first book. Yeah, but also, uh, go post. They had, they had um, the account of them actually finding bodies. Is that what you said? The, the students from the uh, unknown uh, university? Oh, it was, it was, it was, yeah, it was stories. Um, like they were in the desert and they, they, they suppose, saw, they saw wreckage and bodies. Okay. In the desert is what, is what this, these stories. Supposedly <gasps> so. Thank you. That's crazy. I need uh, to go, go edit go, that. Go post. I'm, I'm going to go now. Here we go. Um, so continue. Go post. I'm going. Jeez. Are you? Yes. Right now. <laughs> there we go. Bing. Bada ba boom. Pow. Pow. And <laughs> and we're live. Okay. Cool. <laughs> uh so the second book. Yes. Oh my god, I forgot how long this was. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. You chose it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Pull through. Okay. So the second book. Uh, in 1991, Kevin Randall and Donald Schmidt published UFO Crash at Roswell. Uh, they added 100 new witnesses, altered and tightened the narrative, and included several sinister, quote-unquote, new twists. Some new details were included, inclu- included, including the accounts of a gouge that extended four or 500 feet at the ranch and descriptions of an elaborate cordon and recovery operation. Several witnesses in this book describe being turned back from the Foster Ranch by armed military police, but extensive descriptions were not given. The Barnett accounts were mentioned, though the dates and locations were changed from the accounts found in the Roswell incident. In the new account, Brazil was described as leading the army to a second crash site on the ranch, at which point the army personnel were supposedly horrified to find civilians, including Barnett, there already. Glenn Davis was produced as a supposedly important witness in 1989 after calling the hotline, uh, when an episode of Unsolved Mysteries featuring the Roswell incident uh, aired. His descriptions of the Roswell alien autopsies were the first account that said there were alien corpses at the Roswell Air Base. And, uh, well, that's fake. 
So I just wanted to go over the, the alien autopsy thing. The, uh, that wait, is that um, does that have to do with that picture of the uh, little alien, like the <laughs> little gray alien on the table? Yeah, it, it's a 17 minute black and white film that was supposed to depict like a real thing, but it was made in 1995, and then 2006, the guy who made it admitted it was fake. Oh, well, that's disappointing. Oh, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, he admitted the film was not authentic, but rather a staged reconstruction of footage he claimed he had viewed in 1992, uh, but which had deteriorated and became unusable by the time he made his film. He claimed that a few frames from the original were embedded in his film, but he never specified which ones. The existence of the original film strip of the alleged autopsy had never been independently ver- uh, verified. Why, why didn't he verify which one? Which frames? I don't know. Now that's That's kind of spooky. Too. That's kind of spooky there. Now I gotta, now I gotta write that down <laughs> for this. Well, it, we're getting to. I so mean, much could stuff. that be? Could that be a thing on like he's trying to protect himself? Maybe. Maybe he is. I don't know. But I don't know. That's weird. But the reason I brought that up is because that Glenn Davis dude was the guy who like so he was like, um, he talked about 1989, yeah. the autopsies that happened, yeah. and so what that dude was doing uh, was basically recreating something he saw. Yeah. Based on the autopsies. I see. So, who knows? Uh, that book sold 160,000 copies, and the 1994 television film Roswell was based on that book. Huh. Oh, Kyle MacLachlan is in it. So is Martin Sheen. Not a bad cast. 1992, Stanton Friedman re-entered the scene with his own book, Crash at Corona, co-authored with Don Berliner, an author of books on space and aviation. He writes, <coughs> uh, Goldberg... Who's Goldberg? Who's Goldberg? Yeah, who the hell's Goldberg? I don't know who Goldberg is. I don't know. Uh, the Friedman uh, introduced new witnesses and that he added to the narrative by doubling the number of flying saucer- saucers to two and the number of aliens to eight, two of which were said to have been survived and taken into custody. Randall and Schmidt responded with another book, updating their previous narrative with several new details, including the claim that the alien bodies were taken by cargo plane to be viewed by Dwight D. Eisenhower. He was curious about their appearance. Well, of course he was. Former Lieutenant Colonel Philip J. Corso reported in his autobiographical book that the Roswell crash did happen and that when he was assigned to Fort Riley, Kansas in July 1947, five trucks of 25 tons and some semi-trailers entered the base of, from Fort Bliss, Texas. He claimed while he was patrolling the base, he was brought into the medical facilities by Sergeant Brown and shown the remnants of bodies that were from an air crash. Philip Class analyzed his claims line by line and exposed many inconsistencies and factual errors. Oof. The existence of so many differing accounts by 1994 led to a schism among ufologists about the events at Roswell. The Center for UFO Studies and the Mutual UFO Network, two leading UFO societies, disagreed in their views of the various scenarios presented by Randall Schmidt and Friedman Berliner. Several conferences were held to try to resolve the differences one issue under discussion was there, was was where Barnett was when he saw the alien craft he was said to have encountered. A 1992 conference attempted to achieve a consensus among the various scenarios portrayed in Crash at Corona and UFO Crash at Roswell. However, the publication of The Truth About the UFO Crash at Roswell resolved that Barnett problem that resolved the Barnett problem by simply ignoring Barnett and setting a new location for the alien craft recovery including a new group of archaeologists not connected to the ones that Barnett's story cited. Uh, Don Schmidt held that variations in narratives between different writers was not, however, an essential problem, commenting by way of comparison, 
We know Jesus Christ was crucified. We just don't know where. Uh, hundreds okay. of people were in one. It was like, okay. It was like comparing the two, I guess. Yeah. Like they know what happened. They just don't know where. I, I guess see. that's the deal with the Roswell. Yeah. <sighs> hundreds of people were interviewed by the various researchers, but critics point out that only a few of these people claim to have seen debris or aliens. Most witnesses were repeating the claims of others, and that testimony and their testimony would be considered hearsay in an American court of law and therefore inadmissible as evidence. <clears throat> of the 90 people claimed to have been interviewed for the incident, a uh, testimony of only 25 appears in the book, um, and only seven of these people saw the debris. Of these, five handled the debris. Flock and Roswell, Inconvenient Facts and the Will to Believe, 2001, make a similar point about Randall and Schmidt's UFO crash at Roswell. Approximately 271 people are listed in the book who were contacted and interviewed for the book, and this number does not include those who chose to remain anonymous, meaning more than 300 witnesses were interviewed. A figure flock said the authors frequently cited. Of these 300-plus individuals, only 41 could be considered genuine first- or second-hand witnesses to the events in and around Roswell or at the Fort Worth Army Airfield, and only 23 can be reasonably thought to have been seen reasonably... <sighs> Take your time. Sorry. Oh, my caps lock is on. Only 23 can be reasonably thought to have seen physical evidence debris recovered from the Foster Ranch. Of these, only seven have asserted anything suggestive of otherworldly origins of the debris. And. <clears throat> uh, oh, where'd it go? As for the accounts from those who claim to have seen aliens, critics identified problems ranging from the reliability of secondhand accounts to credibility problems with witnessing, with witnesses making demonstrably false claims or multiple contradictory accounts to dubious deathbed confessions or accounts from elderly and easily confused witnesses. Flock noted that only four people with supported, supposed firsthand knowledge of, an alien, of alien bodies were interviewed and identified by Roswell authors. Frank Kaufman, Jim Ragsdale, Lieutenant Colonel Albert Lovejoy Duran, and Gerald Anderson. Duran is mentioned, mentioned in a brief footnote in The Truth About the UFO Crash at Roswell, and never again, while the other three all have serious credibility problems. A problem with all the accounts charged critics is they all come about a minimum of 31 years after the events in question, and in many cases were accounted more than 40 years after the fact. Not only are memories this old of dubious reliability, they were also subject to contamination from other accounts the interviewees may have been exposed to. The shifting claims of Jesse Marcel, whose suspicion that what he recovered in 1947 was not of this world, sparked interest in the incident in the first place, uh, cast serious doubt on the reliability of what he claimed to be true. What's up? I had to unlock my laptop. Oh. In the Roswell incident, Marcel stated, actually, this material may have, been, may have looked like tinfoil and balsa wood, but the resemblance ended there. They took one picture of me on the floor holding up some of the less interesting metallic debris. The stuff in that one photo was pieces of the actual stuff we found. It was not a staged photo. Timothy Printy points out that the material Marcel positively identified as being part of what he reco recovered is material that skeptics and UFO advocates agree is debris from a balloon device. After the fact was pointed out to him, Marcel changed his story to say that the material was not what he recovered. Skeptics like Robert Todd argued that Marcel had a history of embellishment and exaggeration, such as claiming to have been a pilot and have received five air medals for shooting down enemy planes, claims that were all found to be false, and skeptics feel that his evolving Roswell story was simply another instance of this tendency to fabricate. 
So I'm looking at uh, official Air Force documents about Roswell. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. I just read something interesting. Um, hold on. It's a lot of UFO talk. Oh, gosh. Where was it? Oh, shoot. Um, hold on. It's down. Keep going on what you're saying. Okay. So, in response to these reports... Blue Book. It says Blue Book. <laughs> in response to these reports and after United States congressional inquiries, and these are, these are about the Air Force reports from 1994 to 1997, mm-hmm. the General Accounting Office launched an inquiry and directed the Office of the United States Secretary of the Air Force to conduct an internal investigation. The result was summarized in two reports. The first, released in 1997, concluded that the material recovered in 1947 was likely debris from Project Mogul, a military surveillance program employing high-altitude balloons and classified portion of an, un- of an unclassified New York University project by atmospheric researchers. The second report, released in 1987, concluded that the report of recovered alien bodies were likely a combination of innocently transferred memories of accidents involving military casualties with memories of the recovery of anthro pomorphic dummies and military programs such as the 1950s Operation High Dive mixed with hoaxes and perpetrated by various witnesses and UFO proponents. The psychological effects of time compression and confusion about what events occurred explain the discrepancy with the years in question. The Air Force reports were dismissed by UFO proponents as being either disinformation or simply implausible, though skeptical researchers such as Philip J. Class and Robert Todd, who had been expressing doubts regarding accounts of aliens for several years, used the reports as the basis for skeptical responses to claims by UFO proponents. After the release of the Air Force reports, several books, uh, such as Cal Corf's The Roswell UFO Crash, What They Don't Want You to Know, in 1997, Built on the evidence presented in the reports to conclude, there is no credible evidence that the remains of an extraterrestrial spacecraft was involved. In the 90s, skeptics and even some social anthropologists saw the increasingly elaborate accounts of alien crash landings and government cover-ups as evidence of a myth being constructed. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. More <laughs> stuff. I forgot. I don't know why I can't find this little tidbit that I read. Although there is no evidence that a UFO crashed at Roswell, believers firmly hold to the belief that one did, and that the truth has been concealed as a result of a government conspiracy. B. Day Gildenberg has called Roswell the most famous. Uh, Flock said, The case for Roswell is a classic example of the triumph of quantity over quality. The advocates of the crash saucer tale simply shovel everything that seems to support their view into the box marked evidence and say, See, look at all this stuff. We must be right. Never mind the contradictions, never mind the lack of independent supporting facts, never mind the blatant absurdities. Uh, Korf suggests that there are clear incentives for some people to promote the idea of aliens at Roswell and that many researchers were not doing competent work. Quote, the UFO field is comprised of people who are willing to take advantage of the gullibility in others, especially the paying public. Let's not pull any punches here. The Roswell UFO myth has been very good business for UFO groups, publishers for Hollywood, or publishers for Hollywood, the town of Roswell, the media, and ufology. The number of researchers who employ science and its discipline methodology is appallingly small. Uh, B. Day Gildenberg wrote there were many 
There were as many as 11 reported alien recovery sites, and these recoveries bore only a marginal resemblance to the event as initially reported in 1947, or as recounted later by the initial witnesses. Some of these new accounts could have been confused accounts of the several known recoveries of injured and dead servicemen, and from from four service from, from four military plane crashes that occurred in the area from 48 to 50. Other accounts could have been based on memories of recoveries of test dummies, as suggested by the Air Force in their reports. Charles Ziegler argued that the Roswell story has all the hallmarks of a traditional folk narrative. He identified six distinct six distinct narratives and a process of transmission via storytellers, with a core story that was created from various witness accounts and was then shaped and molded by those who carry on the UFO community's tradition. Other witnesses were then sought out to expand the core narrative, with those given accounts not in line with the core beliefs. Being repudiated or simply omitted by the gatekeepers, others then retold the narrative in its new form. Thus, this whole process would repeat over time. September of 2018, UK newspaper The Guardian reported on Kodachrome slides, which some had claimed showed a dead space alien. First presented at a Bee Witness event in Mexico, organized by Jamie Mousson, uh, and it almost, attended by almost 7,000 people, days afterwards it was revealed that the slides were in fact a mummified Native American child discovered in 1896, <laughs> and which had been on display at the Chapin Mesa Archaeological Museum. Walter Singlevich and a pilot donned poorly fitting radioactive protective suits, complete with oxygen masks, and an atomic test during either Operation Buster Jangle or Operation Tumbler Snapper. While retrieving a weather balloon, they encountered a lone woman in the desert who fainted when she saw them. Singovich was, was a short man and could have appeared to someone unaccustomed to then modern gear to be alien. Roswellian Syndrome Prominent skeptics Joe Nickel and co-author James McGaha identified a myth-making process which they called the Roswellian Syndrome. In this syndrome, a myth is proposed to have five distinct stages of development, incident, debunking, submergence, mythologizing, and reemergence and media bandwagon effect. The authors predicted that the Roswellian syndrome would play out again and again in other UFO conspiracy theory stories. Recriminations among ufologists. Glenn Dennis, who, as we said earlier, testified about the autopsies, was deemed one of the least credible Roswell in, in witnesses by Randall in 1998. In Randall and Schmidt's 1991 book, UFO Crash of Roswell, Dennis's story was featured prominently. Randall said Dennis was not credible for changing the name of the nurse once we had proved she didn't exist. Dennis's accounts were also doubted by researcher Flock. Scientific skeptic author Brian Dunning concurs that Dennis cannot be regarded as a reliable witness, considering that he had seemingly waited over 40 years before he stated recounting, started recounting a series of unconnected events. Such events, Dunning argues, were then arbitrarily joined together to form what has become the most popular narrative of the crash. Some prominent ufologists, including Carl T. Flock, Kent Jeffrey, and William Moore, have become convinced that there were no aliens or alien spacecraft involved in the Roswell crash. <coughs> Sorry, I had to switch to a different thing. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the autopsy here, which I already talked about. Um, and then, in an attempt to produce fresh evidence, some researchers used new technology to try to reanalyze photographs of the telegram held by General Ramey during his 1941 press conference. Goldberg writes that the results proved inconclusive. While some claimed they could discern wording like victims of the wreck, others claimed they saw turned out to be weather balloon. Overall, there was no consensus that anything was legible. U.S. political interest. 
On October 26, 2007, Bill Richardson, who was at the time a candidate for the Democratic Party for uh, president, was asked about releasing government files on Roswell. Uh, he responded that when he was a congressman, he attempted to get information on behalf of his New Mexico consti- constituents, but was told by the Department of Defense and Los Alamos Labs that the information was classified. And quote, said, the government doesn't tell the truth as much as it should on a lot of issues. True. And he promised to work on opening the files if he were elected president. Obviously, he wasn't. Well, uh, what year is that? Seven. 2007. Well, uh, they, I have an official document pulled up, NSA.gov, and I'll let you finish, but I have a lot <laughs> here, and this, on page 14 out of 22, this little uh, subsection is, is titled, What the Roswell Incident Was. All right. So, so in October 2002, before airing its Roswell documentary, the Sci-Fi Channel hosted a Washington UFO news conference. John Podesta, President Clinton's chief of staff, appeared as a member of the public relations firm hired by Sci-Fi to help the government to open up documents on the subject. Uh, He stated, It is time for the government to declassify records that are more than 25 years old and to provide scientists with data that will assist in determining the true nature of the phenomenon. When asked during a 2015 interview with GQ magazine about whether he had looked at top-secret classified information, President Barack replied, I gotta tell you, it's a little disappointing. People always ask me about Roswell and the aliens and the UFOs, and it turns out the stuff going on that's top secret isn't nearly as exciting as you expect. In this day and age, it's not as top secret as you'd think. We all know what that means. Alien. And, uh, let me see here. I mean, basically what all this is, I mean, this is saying is, I mean, I don't want to say trying to convince, but it's basically going back to a weather balloon. Yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, but apparently that's it. So that's all, that's all that there is on Roswell. Uh, ba- there was more stuff at the end, but it was basically just also continuing yeah, the idea yeah. that it's not as credible as people are led to believe. Well, but now it is so your turn. I'll, le- I'll read this last <sighs> little tidbit because this is like three pages. Um, make sure I'm not missing anything. Um, so at the end, uh, it's, it just says, I was examining the debris. Major Marcel was picking up pieces of the target sticks and trying to convince me that some notations on the sticks were alien writings. Um, there were figures on the sticks, lavender or pink in color, appeared to be weather-faded markings with no rhyme or reason. Um, he did not convince me that these were alien writings, Newton concluded that his statement by um, relating that uh, during the ensuing ensuing years, I have been interviewed by many authors. I have been quoted and misquoted. Facts remain as indicated above, which I didn't read. <laughs> but um, I was t- I was not influenced during the original interview nor today to provide anything but what I know to be true. That is the material I saw in General Ramey's office was the remains of a balloon. Um, basically, just saying, yeah, this is a bunch of hoopla. But then again, this is a government document, possibly entangled up with a cover-up. So, I don't know. 
But no, this is you, if you search official Roswell nineteen forty seven document, you will find all this. And if you want to read it, if you want to read all twenty two pages of it, nice. Um, I'm not going to. Yeah, I mean, we we probably should. I mean, there <laughs> might be some good stuff, but not right now. It'd be a three hour podcast. Yeah, just because we read on a second grade level. Yep. But um, that's it. Um, cover I, up. Yeah. You think so? I think so. I. I'll be honest. There's a lot of discredited, like, misinformation out there, probably. Um, I think if, in fact, there was a real crash. This is one of the most popular yeah. incidents. If if there was, in fact, a crash, I believe... Something crashed. <coughs> I believe that the government did recover it, but then... Planted the weather balloon. Yeah. Because yeah. of the operate. Or maybe the craft crashed into the weather balloon and they recovered Ooh. the alien debris but left the weather balloon there as a evidence as like evidence to be like, this is the crash, nothing else. Huh. But at the same time, there's a lot of conflicting stuff, so I have to say that <clears throat> it's iffy. I'll it be honest. Iffy. It's just it iffy. iffy, that's all I can say. It is very iffy. That it is, that it is. But there's, yeah, no, there's just a lot of information and it's just information that you don't know you, if you can trust it. Mm-mm. But something, something fishy is in the air. Something fishy is something in the air. Something fishy, something alien fishy. <gasps> but, I mean. I'm glad we finally covered Roswell. I feel like it's been a long time coming. That I don't know why, but my throat is getting very scratchy from talking so much. Yeah. So we should probably wrap this one up quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, um, aliens, they're out there. They are. Were they at Roswell? Were they at Roswell? Uh, maybe. There's maybe. A possibility. It's possible. Uh, we're not entirely sure, though. Well, maybe one day we'll figure it out. Maybe if we actually read this document. We'll <laughs> that long document, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of documents on it. Yeah. Literally, like, FBI, Air Force, NSA, ABC News. But, yeah. There's a lot. A lot. Wikipedia. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So, uh, that was Roswell. I hope you enjoyed. Yeah. Where can they find us on Instagram? Uh, at nightswims.podcast. I don't think that'll ever change. Just making sure. People know. Yeah, yeah. Stop watching Michael Chiklis. I, I can't. I don't know. What is this show about? I don't know. You know who that is, though? That's the thing from Fantastic Four. What? That's, yeah. Really? That's him. Oh. Yeah. Coyote is the show. Coyote. Anyways, um, we'll talk to y'all later. <laughs> yeah. Bye-bye.